everybody. Welcome to Across the Bifrost. This is the Mighty Thor podcast, where on each and every episode, we explore the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. I am your host, Ryan Doze, and everybody, the day is finally here. We have read Jason Aaron Thor comics for an entire year to get to today. We are finally talking about War of the Realms. Yes, I know you're cheering wherever you're at. You're excited, and you should be even more excited because for an episode this big, we had to get a guest that felt, you know, it felt big enough, felt significant and marvelous enough to, to have on the show to talk about War of the Realms. So I, it is my pleasure to introduce the vice president and creative executive of Marvel Digital Media. He is the host of official Marvel podcasts like This Week in Marvel and Marvel's Pull List. He is also the host of Jersey City's AvengerCon and the star of Marvel Studios' Miss Marvel, Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, welcome to Across the Bifrost. War comes to Across the Bifrost today, and I ride on the wings of one of those cool bug tigers. The bog tigers? Yeah, uh, man, so cool. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's wild that I'm on this episode instead of Jason or Russell, who uh, should, by all rights, be the one steering the ship. But, brother, I'm here for the ride. I've heard all the tales. I was there for it. Uh, yes. And this is among my top three or five favorite comic book stories of all time. So I am here. And, uh, I mean, you, you, I've, I was just telling you this before we got started. I have listened to so many hours of you talk about comics. And whenever you bring up Jason or a Jason story, it's like, it seems like you get like kind of a little bit extra excited. You get a little bit extra, like there's that kind of that, that buzz, that feel with it. And you're, you know, you're right. We, we had Jason on the show a few months ago, back in the summer to kind of do our year anniversary. And I mean, having Jason was a riot. Yeah. Um, and uh, Russell Dodderman's the, he's the white whale right now. He's the, he's the elusive one. So well, he's a I little mean, busy forever all the time. Right. 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 <laughs> but uh, I mean, Russell's been so awesome and generous in our, our emails back and forth. But Ryan Panagos is here on Across the Bifrost. So, uh, Ryan, before we get kind of going into War of the Realms, because like I said, we've been we've been marching up to this for a year and uh, it's been our big thing here on the show this year. But I want to I want listeners to get to know you because so often on your podcast, you're talking about comics, you're talking about news, you're talking about like, but very rarely, like the listeners, I feel like get like a kind of a biography of Ryan Panagos. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tell listeners more about you. Uh, but a question we start off the podcast with is, um, where in the nine realms do you call home? Now, like, just pick pick a realm or you could be serious. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, we've had so many realms go off our checklist uh, so far this year. Uh, well, I, I feel like I, um, I have to choose um, Niflheim simply because uh, I have been branded with <laughs> the symbol. Um, so, uh, you know, I, and I like the cold, you yeah, know, yeah. so that's good. I like the cold. Um, I can hang with giant spiders and, and the dead that, that, that's fine with me. So yeah, I guess I would go with Niflheim. That I believe you are the first person to say Niflheim. So nice. we're just, we're knocking all these realms out. It's, it's it. awesome. Uh, well, because you are, you, you work for Marvel and you do so many things with Marvel. I felt like it was appropriate to start our conversation with 
what are some of your like first memories of comics and superheroes um being in your in your life Mm. um gosh you know it's one of those things i'm an only child from a single mom and comics felt like they were always there i didn't have like a brother or necessarily a cousin who who got me into comics my uncle gave me some really old comics and 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 got me started on some music stuff but comics just it feels like they were just somehow magically always next to me (laughs) or around me i remember you know um spider-man always being there It, it is part of being a kid in the 80s i guess and then the 90s where those characters for a certain sect of kids were just they were in the zeitgeist for us you know yeah. you like they were just around and and it was great so um i probably started reading comics when i was five or six and wow. i often remind tell people like and this is a true thing i remember i can close my eyes and remember being like seven or eight years old being at summer camp my you know my mom worked all the time but one of her bosses was really generous and helped send me to this highfalutin fancy summer day camp that we definitely couldn't have afforded without them and um i remember sitting on like wooden posts looking at comics and if i close my eyes i can it's what it's a weird thing that you can picture (laughs) that that world around me or at least you know my memory paints it as such that i was reading punisher war journal issues six and seven and i had avengers west coast which is strange because i was i did not grow up in avengers especially not an avengers west coast kid yeah. I had issues of the burn era where oh, Scarlet Witch was, you know, all messed up and it's her holding the team and they're falling down or walking right. away. And I still have copies of those. Um, but I was a really little kid reading Wolverine and Punisher fighting brutally <laughs> in the jungle. And look, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I've turned out okay. Um, so yeah, early on it was, it was comics and then into obviously the cartoons and the video games came as those became bigger and better. Did you have like early on, did you have like a favorite where like, oh, like this is my guy or this is my book, um, that you really especially gravitated to? I mean, I was a Spidey and X-Men kid, hundred percent yeah, without question. Um, Wolverine was the coolest ever i read a lot of punisher as a kid but wolverine was a uh, was the coolest and spider-man was spider-man spider-man i remember you know yeah. seeing todd mcfarlane and eric larson and mark bagley spider-man art and just losing my kid mind because it, nothing looked cooler than yeah. them and the the drama and the fun uh, of x-men comics you know we would go to this laundromat near our house and my mom would be doing laundry and I would go directly next door to a used bookstore and buy issues, beat up old issues of Burn Claremont Uncanny. And oh, so wow. I have like, I had full run of Dark Phoenix Saga and Wendigo stuff and Alpha Flight stuff. And like those early, you know, from the one tens to the one to 140. And, and like, I had got a copy of, I didn't get Days of Future Past, but I got 143 which is the issue where Kitty is alone against the Nagari in wow. the, the X-Mansion, which is still one of my all-time favorite comics. But reading that, reading those, and then what if issues over and over and over again uh, as a kid in that laundromat, like what if too, what if is always going to be my, my favorite thing because they killed everyone. It was always a nightmare <laughs> horror show. Anything could happen. Every character was on was like possible in every story. 
So yeah, I, it was a lot of things, but mainly Spider-Man, X-Men, um, and whatever involved those characters. So you mentioned what if was mm-hmm. what if kind of like your I I've I've started to say this on the show and I don't even really know what I mean by this but is it like your your comfort food comic like yeah. it's yeah. it's I, I think that that's a great way to to describe it um what I have a full run on the spinner rack uh, that's right behind my head and uh, as we're video talking over video I have a full run of what if I have a full run of uh what the which is our humor mag from the nineties which is also a reason why I have weird, one of the many reasons why I have weird humor. Um, <laughs> what the, what if, uh, not brand ech. Um, really? Those are the ones wow. that I, I would probably classify as as comfort food. That um, and the um, some like various crossovers like Infinity Gauntlet, um, right. Executioner Song, things like that like i can go to and know know exactly where the story goes but still be captivated and 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 fully brought into the story every time yeah i i oh like i love the idea of like having these comics where it's like oh like i used to know like those comics will make me feel like warm and fuzzy inside and like for me that's like marvel team up like i'll go back to marvel team up and just be like okay like what spidey and uh okay captain britain okay sure why not um but like what if is such a good one and um i I just don't hear i don't hear enough people like collecting what if um which is yeah i mean which is fine i still i think i there's one issue that i i might miss it's like 114 or something or maybe i got it somewhere (laughs) along the line the last couple years but we've never collected the 90s run it's not all on marvel unlimited really damn shame yeah we have like maybe 15 issues out of 120 or so it's it's crazy the 90s one specifically is what i grew up on i I love the 70s and 80s and then we have the full run of those on on mu but yeah someday pull pull some strings like put a little weight uh, on that (laughs) eventually look we've got an animated series on disney plus so we need more what if comics to get into people's hands right right um, so you you go from like being this kid that you know is you know collecting these comics and reading them like right off the pages. How did like how did it get into your mind like oh I could actually like like do some writing I could be creative I could what was that like impetus for you to be a creative yourself in the in the ways that you have been? I have a, this early memory of my friend. Michael and I, when we were kids, about probably around 10 years old uh, or 11 years old, because the trading cards, Marvel Universe Series 1 and Series 2 were out. And those were just life-changing for me, too, because they introduced me to new characters. They had win-loss records. They had stats (laughs) and like all the details and and told, told me about things that I didn't know. And there was like that for me really like was the 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 big, you know, dump of gasoline onto the fire that really burned it but around that time we were making our own characters and from like people around us we would like go to the local like community pool and like that old lady there and this guy here we would go back and then we would write little biographies of them and then say and stanley presents and we would give them a name so we at the top of 90s marvel comics we would have a really great two three sentence description of who these characters were in the books and then it say stanley presents the amazing spider-man or whatever it was and so we were creating at that point and it was just one of those early things that was a a creative bit of business going on in my head although 
that said, it didn't really occur to me until years later when I was in college that that was what I kind of like going into that route made sense for me. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it was just like other pursuits. So, so I, I know uh, you've, you've referenced before, like you, you worked at Wizard for a while. Mm -hmm. So how did like that's I mean, it's one of those like um, comic book adjacent kind of things like you're, you're in like that world. How did that opportunity come to fruition to work there for a while and then like eventually make the jump to, to Marvel later on? Yeah, I, I got a I had, I had been going for a math degree at one school. Um, okay. in college and I was really good at math for a long time I was a mathlete and proud <laughs> and then in like my second year of college which one day I couldn't do it anymore it was like it was like looking at a different language uh, that I didn't know and huh. didn't understand anymore it was really strange and so I had to shift gears and figure out what to do and I was dating a woman uh, who was going to a different school and she was in their nascent journalism program and i had been taking um photos of hardcore and punk bands and i had done a, like an online blog whatever you would call it where i'd put up my photos or i'd write record reviews i would do a lot of yeah. sort of journalisty fanzini type stuff okay. about music and i was like oh maybe i'll do journalism and so then I, I went to a different school was graduated out of their journalism program and saw an ad as i was getting close to leaving school for wizard magazine for toy fair magazine. They needed an assistant editor. And I was like, I can do that. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but I can do that. I have a degree. You can conquer exactly. the world. Like, yeah. And so I, I, I went and um, I applied for it. They called me a couple weeks later. The guy on the phone was like, hi, is this Ryan? I'm like, yeah. And he said, hi, this is Justin Acklin at toy fair magazine. We saw that you applied for the assistant editor position. I got that job, but I need a, a I need some writers. Would you like to write for me? And I was like, yes, a hundred percent. So that opened the door, um, you know. And Justin was was Justin remains a very good friend of mine. He's a vice president now, and he works with Nintendo, and he's great. Um, but and and he was prompted to do that by Matt Senreich, who went on to create Robot Chicken. And, and oh gosh, know, we owe our I, I always find it interesting that we owe our career. I owe my career in many ways to various different people who gave me opportunities when they didn't need to. So I am very appreciative of that. And so, you know, I, I wrote freelance for Toy Fair magazine for several years um, in writing about, you know, the, the uh, collector toy market, which I didn't know anything about, but I researched and I did, did the work uh, writing about um, military toys made in Hong Kong, doing phone calls, at weird hours to interview people. I was like, I didn't know it, but sure. I, I wrote about it uh, because I, I did the research. And uh, eventually the, they, someone let me know that there was a job posting for their research department at Wizard that would cover all the magazines and asked if I would like to come in to interview for it. And I'm at that point, 21 years old. Wow. Um, yeah, about 21. And so of course I go up there and I'm wearing a really terrible ill-fitting suit and a tie with um, Eric Larson Venom art on it. Because uh, Of I course. Had that, yeah, I had that tie for whatever reason. I, I hope I still have that tie. I lent it to a friend of mine a couple of years ago. I hope I still have it. Uh, but I, I wore that and went to the interview and just 
bombed it, man. I oh, was wow. terrible. Flop sweat and <laughs> like stammering, mumbling through questions. And I'm sitting in this room, and this great conference room we had at Wizard that was a long table and up on the top of the wall, uh, up above the walls were framed copies of several issues. And my first issue of Wizard was number eight. And it had this beautiful Wills Portacio cover of Bishop. Uh, Bishop was one of my favorite characters and he was so cool. He had the big mullet and, and Wills' <laughs> art is just gorgeous. And, and I, I was like staring at it like, oh, you like that cover? I was like, yeah. Was like, what do you, what about it? And I'm like, it's cool like that kind of stuff. And they were like, great, let's just finish this. And so like, you know, mercifully ended the interview, the senior manager uh, of the magazines, Joe Yanarella walks me out to my car. Thank you. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Go to start my car. I'd left the lights on because I was nervous. Oh, battery died. Fantastic. This is like an hour North of Manhattan and an hour and a half from where I lived in Brooklyn at the time. And so I had to tail between my legs, walk back in, Asked them to start my car for help me jumpstart my car. Just terrible. Luckily, I kept doing my freelance and being reliable and being, yeah. you know, being honest, reliable, forthcoming, and like diligent about things. And so another job came up as a price guide assistant for Wizard. And they said, Hey, we've got a different job. Maybe you want to come in and interview for this. And that was probably like spring of 2003. So I was 22. Okay. Uh, spring or summer go in interview for it don't remember a thing about it other than i did great a couple weeks later they called me while i was walking down the street to get a sandwich and on my little flip phone and they offered me a job and then boom i, I started at wizard in um i guess the fall summer fall of 2003 as a price guide assistant was quickly promoted to price guide editor and just um worked real hard tried to do more, um, tried to be, you know, very collaborative and, and very honest and very excited, try to keep positive about things and, and make things better as much as I could and, and refine yeah. processes and do all the things that I thought needed to be done. And as I went along, I asked for more work. I asked for more departments. I asked for, you know, Hey, I'm doing the price guide. I also, I'm, I love comics. I mean, I love video games. Can I do the video game section? Great. That's yours. I love indie comics. Can I do those? Great. That's yours. And by two, after two years there, they said, you can be, you know, we want to promote you to associate editor. And at the time, Wizard needed beat reporters. So one okay. person on staff would be the, the main conduit between the magazines and a, a publisher or a company. So there was someone for Marvel, for DC, for Dark Horse, for Image, um, various other things for on the Wizard side. And then one for Hollywood. Um, who just covered the Hollywood beat, which is I always made me laugh. And so I, <laughs> they, I had just, you know, working there, I got the Marvel gig because I was a big Marvel fan and I made, you know, small relationships with, with people. Um, but then from there, I really built my relationships with people at Marvel. I gained trust. I remember going to creative editorial retreats uh, while I was still on staff at Wizard, which is not a thing we we do at Marvel, we don't really bring in outsiders. Hmm. So I feel very fortunate to have seen that before I even was in inside at Marvel, um, and and built great relationships. And one day I was visiting Marvel in summer of 2006, going around to the various offices, asking the editors for questions and talking about what they were excited about and trying to find things to talk about for the magazine. 
and then walking through and I'm wearing a, a, a heavy metal band t-shirt, most precious blood. And I'm wearing <laughs> like cargo, um, camouflage cargo shorts. And like, you know, this is just who I am, you know? Yeah. Right. And, uh, the, one of the vice presidents, uh, in his office says, Hey, Ryan, come on over here for a second. And I'm like, Hey John, what's up? And he says, just sit down, let's talk. I'm like, okay, great. Um, and he was the vice president of their digital media department at the time. Okay. And uh, John Dokes was his name. And he'd been at Marvel in the 90s and he came back in the mid 2000s. And um, we just talked and talked and talked. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to bring somebody else in here. It's like, okay, John. And he brought someone else in. What and are you up talked. to, John? <laughs> it was like, they're asking a lot of questions. Partway through, I'm like, oh, this is an interview. <laughs> interviewing me for a job that they haven't told me about i didn't wear my venom tie <laughs> yeah right um but i i think it's one of those things where i i was honest and and reliable and trustworthy and myself without putting on airs or being anything other than who i was before and after and during and so um they gave me an opportunity john reached out that opportunity and I joined Marvel in 2006 as a, a digital media associate editor and went on from there. I mean, and there's, I, I, I think it's maybe easy for some listeners to be like, Oh, he's the, he's the podcast host guy. Like he, he just hosts podcasts, but like <laughs> now I mean, you, you laugh. Cause it's just like the next question is what all goes into your job? Um, yeah, I mean, so that's 2006, uh, in four days of when we're recording October 30th, uh, that will mark 16 years for me at Marvel in 16 years. Thanks. It's crazy. Um, in 16 years, I was among the the first few people we created our social media. I remember coming home must've been 2007 or 2008 from San Diego Comic-Con on the plane. And I'm sitting literally in the last row of the plane <laughs> because that's that was where my station in life at that point. And John Dokes comes from way up ahead on the plane. He drops a magazine on my table. And he says, let's look into this Facebook thing. And I'm like, okay, John. And so that I read an article in Wired about uh, Twitter in 2007 or 2008 and so invited the founders of twitter to marvel to figure out how we could do stuff together hmm. and so i built up all of our social media i was there to build up our video stuff i built up all of our any news you see on marvel.com has evolved from what i started you know 16 years ago our podcast i brought them back to life with this week in marvel because we had been doing stuff and then stopped and i wanted to do more um so created a lot of the content that we do for digital media, along with a number of other people and, and yeah. has evolved greatly over the course of 16 years. But I don't know that it would be the same had I not gotten those things started with folks like John Cirilli back in those days. Um, so over the course of time, I had run our entire editorial and social media teams for marvel.com for 10 plus years. I wow. um, was hosting and videos and um, live streams and podcasts and working with, you know, the website crew to develop not just the editorial stuff, but like the look and the feel and the, the content around everything, the development of our apps and, and other stuff, working closely with 
every part of the company, you know, I'm doing stuff with studios and uh, games and animation and consumer products and all kinds of stuff um, to the, and eventually it kind of became a lot too much. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like a lot. <laughs> it was, it was a fair sure. amount. I, I was not home as much as, and literally before the pandemic and before my jobs really changed, I was traveling every two or three weeks and it was becoming wow. a little difficult. Um, but eventually we split my job and I, I decided to bring in someone very, very capable and who has done, I think, a better job than I ever did of running our editorial and social media teams um, and Ron Richards. And then I was able to focus on developing what our pod, you know, like the, the shows that I was on, those podcasts, the, you know, the ones you mentioned earlier, uh, working more behind the scenes creatively on stuff like audio or video or other projects. Yeah. And so now that's a lot of what my time is. It's doing these things in front of the camera or in front of a microphone, but also working behind the scenes on some projects. I have a number of things that um, we do, some stuff that has not been announced yet that is still ways off, but it is incredibly huge for us so i'm very excited about that um we have a show called long story short which is on uh, youtube which is um i i hope very funny i <laughs> you know I, i'm the creative lead on that one and i my favorite thing about the latest episode which is about sam walk uh, um sam wilson and steve rogers becoming sort of friends and both being captain america is making sure red skull ends the episode feeling very sad and then gets hit in the head with both Captain's America shields from different directions. And that's how we end the episode. Great. If I can't clown on a Nazi, what am I doing with that? <laughs> you at this point, you you just have to. It's like yeah. you got it, you got it, you got to do it. Yeah. Um, there's so there's a few things about like because through this through this job, I, I'm I'm just absolutely sure you've gotten to do your fair share of cool things. Mm. Um, but when when you're getting into this you're starting to like you know meet these creators and you know interview them and you're doing like you said the marvel beat with wizard and and then you get to work for marvel was there was there a creator along the way that you were like oh no if, if i meet this person like i'm gonna fanboy so hard like this person's like the one i want to meet um you know just you know who, who makes you feel the most like a fan hmm. it's it's hard to look at that objectively now after 16 years and, and try to yeah. remember all those things. I remember the first time I met Stan Lee was backstage at a San Diego comic-con before he went out for a signing and wow. And him being so gracious with his time and, and being lovely. And um, I remember being nervous at that point, but I was still young in my career. Um, so it made sense. And, and having talked to him, you know, a dozen or more times over the years, when he, after one interview, which I'm sure he did a lot of times saying, oh boy, that was a great interview. Thank you for that. I was just like, what? Wow. It was great. That was so cool. It was great. Um, you know, that, that, that was wonderful. I, I'd met Garth Ennis probably 2012 for the first time, but in Barcelona and got to like hang out late nights and drink with him and Glenn wow. Fabry and a bunch of other creators. And so Garth was always one of my absolute favorite writers for all his work on Preacher and The Demon and, and his Punisher stuff and yeah. everything else. And similarly, Steve Dillon, probably my favorite artist outside of Jack Kirby. Um, mm. And so I, I only met Steve once and I don't know that I was nervous about it. I was just like happy to meet 
him, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? And it's, yeah, I have, um, I have a piece of original art, which was my going away gift from the guys at wizard. When I left to join Marvel at that point, we had a tradition. If you were leaving, uh, everybody pitched in and got you a piece of art from your favorite artist of something oh, that's that so cool. would make sense to you. And so Ricky Purden, who was at wizard at the time, who is now Marvel's director of talent relations, he got Steve Dillon to draw Etrigan the demon riding Modoc. And it's, what? <laughs> it is one of my all, like one of my, like I have my, my child and my wife, <laughs> my, this piece of art is like there in my realm of things I, I love and I have it so I can, anytime I'm just need something creatively. Yeah. I can look at it is right over there. And so it's, <laughs> It's really special to me, um, you know, seeing him. But outside of that, you know, it's I, I come from a hardcore punk background. Yeah. So the idea that we're all in this together, that, you know, we do this ourselves in a lot of ways, that um, we're not better than each other, that like, hey, I should be able to buy the T-shirt or the, the record or the comic book from the person who made it and just have a cool chat with them about it is part of my uh, like dna for the past you know 25 ish years yeah um so i I don't really i i don't get that like weird about it necessarily yeah i I maybe maybe i should have rephrased it like who 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 makes you the most excited um but uh there is there's another question um that I've, i've been just dying to ask and maybe i've missed this on the show where did the agent m moniker come from Hmm. um I, I will say just to your other point yeah um the the people that make me the most excited are the people who i think get like make me happy about yeah. reading comics you know it's sort of like a symbiotic re- symbiotic relationship and then i and oftentimes i becomes friends with them and like i was um i had just given a a three long boxes full of trades that were in my basement to a friend of mine who's in the army to just share with some um some soldiers cool. and because you know they you always need something to read when you're out there we're right we're, you know um so he sent me a picture back and it's it's him and, and one of the soldiers and she's holding a giant stack of books but one of uh jerry duggan and brian Posehn's uh deadpool books is front and center and she's got this giant grin on her face and i sent it to jerry and i was like jerry i'm corrupting the army with your deadpool <laughs> comics and i love it and you know i can <laughs> being able to talk to folks like jerry duggan or jason aaron as my friends whose work genuinely i absolutely adore yeah. truly deeply that that makes me excited that's what yeah. makes me excited these days awesome um, and so for, to the H and M question, um, the the gentleman who hired me, John Dokes, um, we were talking about our plans for the site in 2006 and what we wanted to do at that time. Blogs were very popular, and we had had a couple of blogs going at the time, and but they were sort of scattershot. There was no organization around them. There was no driving force. So we had discussed about all right, let's one of the job roles will be to to organize and make sure the blogs are coming in regularly we're getting content yeah and you know tom brevoort who is you know, <clears throat> my senior vice president executive editor and you know one of the greatest minds at marvel comics history in my opinion he was doing a blog and stuff like that and i was like all right i'll do a blog and i'll do it behind the scenes and i'll do you know sort of like take the knowledge and the the sort of things that 
I've done at Wizard and, and put a spin on it here. Okay. And so uh, I was going to do a behind the scenes blog and I love Nick Fury. I thought, you know, <laughs> Nick Fury's cool character. Let's do it sort of spy themed. And so John was like, that's a great idea. It would give you a, a secret agent name, come up with a name. And I was like, oh, shit. Can I curse on this? I, I tried. Go right ahead. Yeah. Uh, in my head, I was like, shit. And so I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. And when we have our conversation, he's like, so what'd you come up with? I was like, Agent P for Panagos. And he's like, no, no. Agent M. <laughs> and he literally walks away. He walks and I was like, he just yeah. dropped it and was out. One, he's the boss. Two, it is better. It sounds better. Maybe because after you know 16 years, it just it has become a moniker of mine. And so it just feels normal. But yeah, it was that it, that was the way it was done. It was just Agent M for Marvel. Awesome. I mean, I mean, I, I assumed the M meant Marvel, but I was like, how do we get there? Um speaking of like how how we've gotten to different places. We are, of course, we're here today to talk about War of the Realms. We, like, you are friends with Jason Aaron. Uh, I am, I'm, uh, I will say an appreciator and admirer of his work. Um, he's, when we, when we got to talk to him a few months ago, it was, it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm, I'm meeting the guy that literally makes, made me want to read comics. Um, and it was, it was, it was, a complete honor and privilege to talk to him but you you are you have this story with jason um that i really love uh, and i wanted to you just tell listeners like how did you meet jason aaron but then also the tattoo story because you and jason are bonded by ink um, <laughs> um you know I, I i can't say that there's any interesting meet cute between jason and i other than we you know he was uh he was really like put his wheels to the ground and often rolling in 2008 at Marvel. He'd done a couple of things, but uh, Ghost Rider and Wolverine come out the same week. His first two big Marvel projects. You just covered and, that with uh, Corey Smith. Yeah, which yeah. I, I didn't realize it was the same week. And that that is now seared in my brain of like, how is that possible <laughs> that one of the defining talents of a generation in comics puts out two comics on the same day or, or, or two of his comics, early comics, his first big forays into ongoing storytelling happen the same day. And they're That's so nuts. fucking good. It's, it's <laughs> mind numbing anyway. Um, so he came, he was really coming up at Marvel in 2008 and then nine, 10, yada, yada, yada. So we just met through the work at, at Marvel, yeah. and, you know, see him at retreats or probably interview him for the website or talk to him at conventions, whatever it was, and just became pals because, you know, he's a big tattooed silly man with who loves wrestling. And I'm a big tattooed <laughs> silly man who loves wrestling. He has big, dumb facial hair. I have big, dumb facial hair, which I will tell I, I hate this. I hate this, but I've grown a beard over the last two months that I like and my wife yeah. likes, but I've always had the mustache and Jason and I always argue whenever we talk to each other, he's like, why do you still have that mustache? I was like, why do you still have that bald head? <laughs> but he's always like, not until you get a beard. Will we be truly friends? Well, now Jason, I've got a beard. Yeah. And I hate that. I have given in to his beardedness. <laughs> um, so yeah, we you know we became friends. We'd go to tiki bars together. Guy loves his tiki bars. <laughs> Smart. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good tiki bars uh, is a fine thing. He loves Disney World, you know, taking going there and taking his his family or just being there on his own. I love that. You know, it's like there's just a lot of things we love. He's so soft spoken, though. Uh, it's like half the time I'm just like, you know, Jason, get as riled up and as crazy as I am. But right. That's just not his way, man. That's just not his way. So when we I had heard all of his story ideas for years. And the, the buildup to War of the Realms for, you know, a year or two before more, more than that really is, yeah. you know, he was on Thor and, and talking about his different plans. And, you know, when we do these retreats and, and hear the plans coming for the future comics and different creators have different ideas and some are further out and what they want to do. And, and so Jason had lots of plans and I just, we knew that War of the Realms was going to be a big deal. And you know, I gotten to that point where I probably at that point was a vice president at Marvel and could f- get some stuff done here and there that is a little wacky. And so, you know, we were doing videos and, and podcasts and a lot of stuff and finding ways to support War of the Realms in new and, and interesting ways. And so I said, well, you know, I want to do a War of the Realms after show. We'll, we'll talk to the guys. And so there's a bunch of episodes of this week of Marvel, which is, you know, covers, you know, of the time, what was going on and spoiling some stuff, some spoiler casty things that we did. Yeah. And I also said, look, let's take Jason and I and let's get tattoos of these symbols that we really like fully created for yeah. the 10 realms for war of the realms because they were promotional we did a lot of promotion with them they're all throughout the the volumes they're in the logo all this stuff let's let's tattoo these symbols on us and jason was like yes i did i don't even know if i finished speaking where he was had already said yes i mean he's like as long as i can find space for it you know because he's all tattooed up and i was like i know i've got plenty of space i just need to get this approved and so he was on board and then um, I somehow got Marvel to pay for Jason Aaron and I to get <laughs> tattooed to record it on video and audio. That is awesome. And it was a snowy day. The two of us hanging out, clowning on each other for like five hours with my tattoo artist, Dave Wallen in Brooklyn, who is just the best. And like, it's one of my crowning achievements at my career at Marvel that That's I was awesome. able to get a giant corporate entity to pay for me to get tattooed. <laughs> and with like, as an actual promotional resource, there's a, there's a bunch of content out there for it. Yeah. And it's, it's cool as hell, man. I mean, the, and in, I was telling you before we got started here, it actually, there's a, there's a insert in the Marvel Unlimited version of one of the issues we're going to talk mm-hmm. about where it's, it's you guys both with, the picture of you guys showing off your tattoos and i was like this like this is the coolest thing like and it made it made me want to decide like oh man well which which realm should i get like man i felt like i felt like i should just like i need a thor tattoo i, I gotta <laughs> you guys got me started on a really good idea i feel like um but we are going to jump into war of the realms after a very short break and we're gonna we're gonna talk all the things that are in this comic, there's no possible way we're going to talk about every single detail, but we're going to try to hit most of it. So we'll be right back after this very short break. Hey 
everybody. Hope you're enjoying this awesome chat with Ryan Panagos today on the episode. I hope you're getting excited for us to talk about War of the Realms. Just wanted to take this brief moment to remind you that for a few bucks a month, you can join the Thor Corps and get bonus episodes, early episodes, things like that, that you can't get here on the main feed. You can also help us determine who we're going to be spotlighting in 2023. We've got it down to a few options, but if you're a Thor Core member, you and I are going to have a conversation and I'm going to get your input on who we should talk about next year here on the Mighty Thor podcast. So for a few bucks, you can join the Thor Core. It'd be an awesome way to support the show and keep everything going here on Across the Bifrost. But either way, I hope you continue to enjoy this conversation with Ryan Panagos from Marvel Agent M. Okay, everybody, here we go. We're finally here. Finally here at War of the Realms. Uh, this is a massive crossover event. Uh, it encompassed so many different books. And the lead up to this, Ryan, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the lead up for this was like four or five years. Like, yeah, it's uh, the so the first the the War of the Realms is first mentioned in the first issue of the Mighty Thor, um, <sighs> with art by Russell, and and you know you have light elves floating in space and like that's the the first drumbeat of war so yeah i think that's something like four years before yeah. five years before i mean Wild. and and malekith has been you know malekith has been at work since you know the accursed storyline and there's there's so much going so much going towards this big huge story for so long and it's finally here. And I, when I reread it, I reread it in like a few hours and I was like trying to really like enjoy it and savor it like a good meal. I was trying to just, you know, enjoy every single bite. And I still finished it so quickly because I was like, it, it flows so quickly. And, and I just want to give a brief synopsis for listeners who maybe haven't read it yet. I mean, if you haven't read it yet, come on, like you gotta, you gotta get on that. Um, but this story is the culmination of Jason Aaron's, you know, uh, very many, many years uh, writing Thor and, you know, great artists. Uh, Russell Dodderman is the one who does the art for this main uh, for this these main issues. You know, and it's the it's the normal gang. It's Matt Wilson. It's Joe Sabino. Uh, I almost I was telling Joe Sabino a few weeks ago when we interviewed him, I was like, I kind of in my brain, I was like, I, in my in my mind like they all just like hang out together and like make comics it's like a it's like a boy band on tour um and like uh and he assured me that it was not that way but um but the, the this creative team that has provided so many great comics they're finally here for this event and um malekith finally uh invades midgard he finally sends all of his legions his his generals you know he's got trolls dark elves frost giants all of them they show up in new york city because you know what marvel crossover you know doesn't involve you know new york city at some point um they all show up there they are wreaking havoc and all the heroes and all the asgardian refugees they they're jumping into action i love the first little scene with spider-man jumping in and helping freya um it that was so funny to me um, that one i found so funny because i live in the bronx i live in <laughs> in, a, in an area called riverdale and so spidey is for some reason in the bronx and you know there's like look you have to have suspension of disbelief if you are reading anything fictional because there's going to be stuff that you go what how is that possible <laughs> But I like was 
definitely taken aback. I was like, Spider-Man, why are you in the Bronx? There's no reason for you to be up here. That's very far from Queens, very far from like literally anywhere you would be. But hey, it's all good. Whatever. You know, it's uh, they they the war starts with the invasion. But Thor, uh, Thor has been tricked to go to Jotunheim and uh, Malekith is throwing every frost giant he can at Thor, keeping him busy while the heroes in New York City and on Earth, uh, they try to push back the invasion eventually dr strange kind of he powerfully evacuates the whole city and the heroes are back at avengers mansion they start regrouping they're like well to win this war we need we need thor we we need him uh and we need him to finish the job fighting malekith there's a lot that goes on in the tie-ins and the and the in the the other issues that are related to the storyline, which we are going to do a bonus episode on. So we're going to talk about War Scrolls. We're going to talk about the War Avengers, Strike Force. We're going to talk about all that. Um, but today we're just going to focus on the main issues. And eventually Thor is freed from Jotunheim. He comes back and um, the Bifrost is being kept open by my sleeper favorite character of this crossover, Daredevil um this is like this is a thor crossover ryan but it feels like it's also a little bit of daredevil story yeah it is a thor crossover but it it's at the at the same time definitely a marvel universe story which yeah. is you know why you get great moments from various avengers and you get that you get daredevil at a really cool part of it yeah it, it, you know there was, it was something we always talked about the the publishing team always talked about internally of this is a marvel universe story yeah uh, but while it is a thor story it is it will affect and encompass the entirety of at least you know earth and the other nine you know the other nine realms yeah um, to make sure it feels like it's a cohesion cohesion a cogent part of the marvel <laughs> universe. and and uh internally is this what um the publishing side would consider a a line wide event yeah i would yeah um because it it hit all the different books you had x-men tie-ins you had spidey stuff you had the daredevil stuff you had you know characters from all across the the various um families and books you know finding ways to to tie into this so yeah definitely and um the, so the, this this storyline really culminates with um uh, odin and freya have a really great moment where they defend uh, the black bifrost they end up blowing it up and uh, malekith's kind of last ditch effort is to um is to kind of goad thor into facing him in a situation where only thors can fight him like only thor can enter this you know the stonehenge area where he's kept odin and freya prisoner um, but it doesn't say only one Thor can show up. Mm -hmm. And one of the themes of Jason's run on Thor is that there's many different versions of Thor and there's a lots of different Thors. So um, the last issue, a storm of Thors uh, features Jane, uh, old man Thor, King Thor and young Thor. Uh, they all go and they fight Malekith and Mjolnir is reforged. He shows up and oh, all this badassery ensues and uh thor is thor is victorious they they defeat malekith and then um you know in the in the omega issue we're going to talk about on that bonus episode where you know lots of different things happen as a result of the war of the realm being won but yeah that's kind of the wide sweeping theme of, of the 
of the of the crossover but ryan i'm just curious to know what were some of your favorite parts of this storyline and like maybe we can just like dig in on those for a little bit um whether it's characters or moments one of the things you know having reread it i've only so part of my role at marvel is literally reading everything we put out every week and so sometimes that's 15 comics sometimes that's like 24 25 comics and so it's a lot of reading plus the other stuff that we do for our shows so i don't often get to go back and reread stuff for fun yeah so this was I, i found this you know exercise to be great because i was able to go back and reread this for the first time in quite a while and one of the things that i love most about it is how timeless it actually kind of feels aside from sort of what Thor not having Mjolnir for most of it and and certain things it feels like a Marvel Universe story that like you could just pick up and and you know yeah like the like there's a couple of jibes at at Wolverine like I thought you were dead because he had (laughs) been dead right but like you know other than that if you could read this as a Marvel fan and not know necessarily not need to know where it sits in the marvel timeline which yeah. i think is really helpful for someone um who will come in inevitably to read this as just like "Ooh, this looks cool or "Ooh, i've heard good things right um to be able to pick this up and read um i mean there's so many great moments the 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 part in issue two where uh odin arrives with the valkyr it's yeah. so cool. It's so cool. And Ugh. one of those things about this is, so I, I know all the things that are going to happen in our comics and stories and in micro or macro ways, well before I read the comics. And sometimes after long periods of time, what I know from earlier may supersede what I remember reading. You know yeah. what I mean? And so like my memory gets jumbled up into things and, so like in the early planning of like the Valkyrie come in and they get slaughtered as, as a sort of part of that story that I understood from early on. Whereas reading it here, the nuance of like, they change, they turn the tide here. Right. Everything, like had they been able to continue riding on the war might have been over, but Dr. Strangest, I I'd completely forgotten that Dr. Strangest spell is too powerful and he takes too many people. And yeah, yeah like the the tide starts to turn and then it turns back for Malekith by accident and it's this this very like classic marvel moment of you know a heroic deed that also comes with consequences and yeah. and horror and slaughter um the ends of issues jason is so good and russell and, and the whole team but jason as a writer is so good at cliffhangers and at final pages and that that thing that is so important for us in comics to like make you say god damn it i need the next issue right now don't make me wait (laughs) yeah i i why why do i have to wait a month for this or weeks or whatever and now it's collected you you know you can just go on but that the end of the first issue the end of the second issue like those there are moments and, and dialogue beats and throughout all this um, that are really absolutely incredible. And so like, just want to listen to like, um, uh, what the hell's that metal band? The, um, the like very like, 
um i do not know oh man i was just i literally was just listening to them a couple weeks ago because they they'd come up um anyway uh but like you know you just want to listen to some really awesome metal and and read this story yeah um jason's ways of threading in little moments into the big story uh both as like asides like you know he there's one scene in like five issue five or six where there's just a caption box about something going on with moon Knight, and you don't even see it here but i was like right hot, hot damn i want to read that part what's going on over there that sounds freaking awesome like there's so many there's so much happening in here that this there's no slowing down there's no need to slow down it is so tightly plotted and given you know monumental moments without it it, it's so it doesn't slow down but at the same time it doesn't feel like you're overwhelmed by it or at least yeah it's good balance yeah there i think one of my i've said this um you know going through this run again this year having you know done our retrospective that i think one of the things that jason's the absolute best at is efficient world building like he can build a world so quickly that I care about, that I want to be invested in. Like those little caption boxes. He tells you like, Moon Knight's over here doing this thing. And then he'll, he'll like describe it in a way where you're like, yeah, I'm like, I want to know that story right now. Yep. And I, I think this is one of those sometimes, sometimes when I read a crossover event, I'm like, I might pick up the tie-ins. I might here and there. Um, but here I'm like, I want to read everything. I want to read war scrolls. I want to read journey into mystery. I want to read all of them. Um, and I feel like that's like, it's like the cherry on top of Jason writing this main story, because obviously he's not going to go out and write every tie-in, but like, you know, give these other authors a kind of a, a kind of like a, a sandbox to play in that happens under the umbrella of this bigger event. Um, I, and I thought that was just so good. Um, I, I, I got halfway done with war scrolls last night after I got done with this. Cause I was like, I want to know more about what happens with daredevil. You know, I want to be reminded of, of that great um, the, the interludes and stuff. So that has I think, art by Andrea Sorrentino, right? I if believe I so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. So good. It, artwork. Artwork was one thing I wanted to talk about yeah. with you because Dodderman is recently I did one of those like, oh, okay, like ask me anything. Like I'm on a trip and I just want to talk about Thor. And someone said, who's your favorite uh, Thor artist? And I know I'm probably supposed to say Simons and I'm probably supposed to say Jack Kirby. And I love those two artists. Like it's not, it's not a slight. Dodderman was the first Thor comic I picked up. Dodderman was the first trade I bought. You know, I was like, I, I can't, you can't, you can't beat your first. So when, you know, I've had a chance to just speak with him over email every once in a while. And I'm like, Hey, um, why don't, why don't you like do inter interior artwork anymore? He's like, war of the realms, man. <laughs> like it did so much. Um, yeah. but he really is at his peak here. Like, yeah. It, I it's like yeah it is an artist at the peak of their powers and and supported by maybe the greatest colorist of the generation so eisner award winner yeah sweetheart of a man matthew, matthew wilson, wilson. I adore him um yeah it is it is absolutely stunning and beautiful and one of those things about uh about russell is like there are 
if you don't, maybe if you're not so deep into comics, you don't notice these things, but I hope you do uh, to whomever is listening is look at the, the layouts, look at the page borders, the panel, actually like the shapes of panels, yeah. the framing of different shots. You know, Russell doesn't, sometimes he'll do square panels where it makes sense or rectangles, but he'll just throw odd angles into things and he'll break them up and he'll, he'll cross them over or he'll, you know, do really interesting and weird stuff with panels. Um, he will like full bleed art from one panel that is behind the everything else on the page, but yeah. not others. There's one really stunning um, sequence in, I think it was five. It was somewhere in here where there were certain panel borders that looked like they were burning pieces of paper and yes. some that weren't. And I was just like, that's such a, uh, a, a little thing, but it adds such emotion to the, the story that is being told and yeah. the feeling of this page and what they're trying to get across. It is such a smart piece of effective storytelling. Um, it, yeah, it is a, he's, to me, a very fearless artist in the way that he is able to present the story and, and tell it. And I haven't looked at the scripts in, in quite a long time. I remember looking at them a long time ago, but, you know, I, I think there's just this way that, you know, Jason and Russ can work together. That um, is just absolutely spectacular. The, the flow, the flow of the story is never interrupted by the art. It's never like an abrupt, like, oh, the, the writer wants to take us someplace, but like, I don't really understand what the artist is doing here. I don't have that moment. I think that's maybe why, um, like, I will go back and read Dodderman Thor, like just on a whim, like just, you know, for whatever. And like, I do the same thing with Ribic Thor. I do the same thing with Del Mundo Thor. Like all these artists, they just, they flow so well with how Jason presents story that there's such easy reads like I don't feel like it, they're not tedious they're not you know like I'm not you know chunking my way through this story it just feels like it's like I'm on a breeze and Jason's just taking me to to it to a great uh, satisfying conclusion uh, of the story there, there are a few characters that are highlighted in this that I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about um and you know there's kind of that kind of the junk drawer of like all the different heroes that aren't Thor that aren't, you know, um, Jane, uh, you know, like Spider-Man cap Punisher venom, you know, even heck, even the black Knight is in this black Knight is a fan favorite of mine. Um, Cy Spurrier, if you're out there, I would love to talk black Knight with you. Um, but then uh, there's, you know, Iron Man has a, you know, Iron Man and Shuri do great things to the celestial. That's the Avengers mountain uh, black Panther. There's so many different characters. Was there a was there a character in this Marvel Universe crossover, Ryan, that really like stood out to you? Felt like Jason like maybe put a little bit more extra umph behind um, behind a certain character for you? Hmm, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Daredevil already, and and I think that was that was something that Jason connected with early on, as, as and it shows on the page. Um, <laughs> Punisher clearly yeah. you know we, we know Jason has a has stories to tell with the Punisher and has been telling some stories and the I think he and Russell do some really interesting Punisher stuff in here Russell draws such a fierce brick wall giant <laughs> mass of a man with the Punisher throughout this that and he's he's interesting and um and definitely terrifying 
I think this is early on in Jason's Avenger stuff. Yeah. But you can tell he loves Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. He loves Blade. <laughs> yes. He's having fun with Jen Walters. Um, you know, you can tell that like he's he's glad to put his you know his version of the Avengers in here in a way. Um, yeah, there's there's those characters are um I think the ones that probably stick out the most, but yeah, they tend to get a lot a little bit more of the the playtime throughout all this outside of obviously the thors and and odin freya yeah and, and such there, there is a moment i think it's there's a moment where somebody sees all the heroes walking up they're like i thought you said the avengers were coming he's like yeah we're the avengers and, and blade is like yeah i'm, I'm kind of i'm as surprised as you are <laughs> like and, and i love this self-awareness that like someone like blade has because you know there was a time where like blade doesn't show up in these big you know team books where you know with captain america and you know, iron man it's you know it still was even kind of weird for me to see blade i was like oh the vampire guy he's just he's he's an avenger now that's just that's where we're at that's and, the beauty of the marvel universe though right? right it's like you know we have such a rich tapestry that you may be like huh but soon you once you hear read that story you're like, yes, 100%. Well, of course, Blade's always been an Avenger. What are you talking about? <laughs> he, he was right there with Ant-Man and the Wasp and, you know, and Thor and Iron Man and Hulk. He helped fish one. Captain America out of the out of the drink. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he, he he took on Loki in issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's this, this, like you said, this rich tapestry of all these different characters that um, I, I really do think one of my favorites that showed up in this pretty prominently at points was Spider-Man. I was just going to say, and I'm looking at the cover and I'm like, you know what? And I was thinking about this earlier. Spidey is one of the books and correct me if I'm wrong, that Jason hasn't done a ton of Spidey work. He did the astonishing book with Spidey and Wolverine um, with Adam Kubert on art, which was really good. Right. But as far as like, I know, gosh, astonishing. I think you're right. I'm usually right. (laughs) but <laughs> to the google machine um but i i yeah, don't know Astonishing jason, spider-man and wolverine which is really good um but has but jason he, ever done a main spidey book I, not that i can recall um, that would be interesting I, I yeah i i remember when we talked to jason a while back i i was the day before we had talked i was just thinking like man who's a character i would love for jason to like get his hands on and in that interview, I was like, hey, um, you know, the the when the idea and the ideas for Thor were coming up, what were you going to do? He's like, well, I was going to do Captain America. And I was like, damn it, that's the one. I was like, Captain America or like Daredevil, like yeah. extended runs. I mean, there's really not a character that I can imagine him doing poorly. Um, so um, I even said at the end, I was like, you know, jumping over to the uh, distinguished competition. I was like, I would read the hell out of a Jason Aaron Assad Ribic Superman story. Um, I would read the hell out of that, but mm. that is my fantasy booking uh, running amok. So uh, la- later, uh, later on, they become more prominent, but obviously if it's a Thor Asgard nine realms story, Freya and Odin are going to be included and Freya Freya and Odin both get these makeovers halfway through this where Russell kind of just goes nuts. Um, and uh, the, the designs and the, the places that Freya and Odin show up, um, the, did, did any of the, those parts, Ryan, like really just like jump out to you? Was there a part with one of them that was significant? I mean, I, you know, Jason writes really incredible 
for both of those characters every time like i hate his odin in that sense that like he's, he's so well written but he's just the worst just such an asshole and um so it's always fun to watch him and his freya is just so incredible like she is the rallying cry of all of asgard like she just is you you would follow her to anything it feels right like. and that shot when she's like she's got the uh the bitter blade and the energy is around her and russell yeah. draws the it's like this purple hue of of a, a kind of suit of armor slash weapon on top of her where right. she's commanding that and it's so gnarly and so cool uh yeah the the iron all father um suit is dynamic i that actually the first shot of odin i love so much where he's got those big smooth horns right yeah um the first time we see him very or within the first couple of pages it for that reminds me it reminds me of tim curry in uh in legend and okay. his, his devil character in in that and the horns on that and the way it moves and so like i could i could picture the way odin's head would move and it made it very surreal and and really cool like i think you know i remember russell doing these designs and seeing those that first look of like why don't why can't i own a winter jacket that is captain america's jacket when he goes to, to jotunheim <laughs> it's like, so good that. it's so it's amazing it looks so comfy <laughs> it's so great um, oh man, that's what was uh that's the line where it's going back to Spidey, where Spidey shows up and he's like, he's like, You guys get cool weapons, <laughs> and I'm just here with a shield. Like, who runs into battle with a shield? Oh, wait, oh. hold on. <laughs> and Cap just like gives him a look. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. one of the other main characters of this crossover, uh, understandably, is Malekith, the 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 dark elf, uh, the king of Svartalheim. Um, he has been a constant thorn in the side of Thor this almost this entire run. And he finally gets his comeuppance here, but uh, Malekith, I think for me, um, and I would love to hear like what you think on this point. I think he took a massive jump up in like, he went from being like, yeah, he's kind of dangerous to like, Oh, this is Malekith's like big play. Yeah. It's, it's a thing where you can make any villain scary and cool and interesting, even above and beyond with the right story <laughs> and the right storyteller. <laughs> Jasmine, my co-host on Marvel's pull list, and I were joking about, because she had never read Jason's run on Ghost Rider. And so she kept right. reading and kept reading and it's just like... Jason makes big wheel cool. Jason makes the orb cool. I was like, yeah, because they can be cool. They can be <laughs> cool and scary and dangerous if you're, you know, you tell it right. And that that's that's sort of like, you know, the the beauty of of great characters. There, there's something there for them. Um, and Jason takes something who is already really cool in Malekith, hey. but like ramps everything up and 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 makes him scary and evil and gives him a long slow burn to the yeah. point where you know if you are just picking up the trade for war of the realms and you read the recap like the three para three or four paragraphs of recap at the beginning you're like holy shit all this has already happened right he's done all of this already what uh so yeah malekith is delicious too he's just <laughs> yes he, the venomous 
and unabashedly uh, tra- treacherous. He is not gonna, you know, play fairly. He is going to watch you suffer. He like, and and revel in it. And I, I think, you know, Jason being a big wrestling fan, um, he knows the joy of a villain. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of his friends who are wrestlers and I, my friends who are wrestlers, having talked to them about playing the, that kind of character and how much fun it is to just be a bad guy and to, you know, know that what you're doing is making people angry. And if you right. can get someone to feel yes. pissed off and want to hurt you, you're doing your job. And, and Malekith is that that is he is just doing things to hurt and to inflict pain and inflict his will and enjoy it. And he wants to watch you get angry at him so he can, you know, enjoy that suffering even more. It's delicious. As, as a fellow professional wrestling fan, I have to ask you this. What wrestling villain is Malekith? Ooh. Ooh, that's good. I mean, obviously there's a lot of layers there, but like yeah. a lot of great bad guys in wrestling history. I mean, in, in some ways, he's, you know, Mr. McMahon because he's oh orchestrating so much and he is he is at, at points in command of everything and everything is at his whim and he's taken over. He's, you know, he's gobbled up his, his quote unquote competition and all that stuff and he's going to laugh at you and he's going to conspire against you. Like, it was me, Austin. It was me all the time. You know, it's like that the moment where he reveals to Thor at the beginning that yes. he was actually Loki and then he tricked you. Ha ha. See you later. You know, like <laughs> uh, in the context of the story the you know, there's no greater villain that I, could be that. I mean, Mr. McMahon's pretty hard to beat, almost impossible to beat when it comes to bad guys. And uh, oh, man, that makes Thor Austin in this. I'm, I'm behind that. Right. I'm behind that. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he wants to drink, you know, kick ass and drink beer. That's all. If, he wants if, if Thor would have ended this with a stone cold stunner, <laughs> I would have just I would have been completely like over the moon. Um, it, so another another two other characters that I just wanted to highlight real quick because they are kind of the the um, heroic hinge points of Jason's run on Thor. It's Jane Foster and Thor Odinson. Jane is back to being human. She's she's beaten cancer, but halfway through this storyline, she feels like she can do more. She feels like she's being called to more. And we know what happened last time she was called to do more. She sacrificed herself to get rid of Mangog. And she knows what sacrifice looks like. She knows what being a true hero looks like. But there's that secondary calling of what do I do now? And she uh, the, well, the, 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 really the, the main tragic loss of this crossover is Brunhild, uh, yeah. when Malekith, uh, viciously decapitates her. Um, and it's just like, it, it was so kind of vivid because all you, you see Brunhild like on her knees after she's fought a, an army and Malekith just is continuously that sleaze and he that's how the issue ends he decapitates brunhild and and uh jane foster feels like she can do more she's anointed kind of temporary all mother um by freya as she goes off to to do her thing but jane jane then gets to show up at the end with the hammer of the war thor the the one that drove volstag insane um which the war thor 
talk about a comic that needs to be read with metal music playing <laughs> that comic is insane um but jane shows up as in her in her thor uh, her thor attire uh, at the end and uh then uh, she gets she gets kind of her next um how do you say this it's kind of hinted at what she's going to do next after war of the Realms. little teaser so, yeah and and we'll talk about that more with omega um next time but uh what did you think of jane's place in this story ryan i mean i love it i, I yeah. you know I, I think i've told this before but sitting next to jason at a creative retreat when the day it was announced that in the next that thor would be a, a woman and the like the internet backlash and and fear and, and horror and blah 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 but knowing that Jason had this plan, had this story, had this idea yeah. and, and was doing really great work with Jane and then seeing what Jane Foster as Thor has meant to fans over the last, you know, almost 10 years Yeah, um, at conventions or through, you know, just being in my place at Marvel and, and hearing from folks. It's, it's incredible. So it was, it's, it, it is imperative that she had that role in this storyline that she had such a big place that you know she was you know given the the keys to the kingdom so to speak yeah she was put in charge and nobody box at it because she is she has earned that she yeah. is rightfully there and then she like steps up one more time sacrifices you know for herself could potentially kill herself but no like that's the mark of the hero that she is like whatever i gotta this is what needs to be done. So I'm here for it. Oh, that, Jane Foster's the best. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can't really see it, but up in the up in the top there, that's my that's my Jane number one. Um, for I, that'll be always probably one of my my most prized possessions. Um, I whenever I'm having kind of a, a bummer day in the studio, I just kind of look at that one. I'm like, all right, we 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 all we all have great things within us um but then at the end uh she discovers that you know she's got this new weapon attached to her and we learn more and that's what launches us into jane foster the valkyrie yeah. um which such a such a great series al ewing jason thorn grunbeck like uh lots of things are about to happen for jane and um spectacular um the last character is kind of the, the headliner um, you know, you said this is a Marvel Universe story, but this this storyline has been largely built through Thor's journey of becoming um, of dealing with gore and realizing that he is unworthy through the acts of original sin and then becoming worthy again, but then also not having Mjolnir anymore and going through hammer after hammer after hammer um and there not being enough uru or metal in in the nine realms uh to keep building him hammers but then um thor goes through so much in the in this crossover but he reaches that final point where at the end he defeats malekith he gets mjolnir back and odin out of nowhere bows to him and pronounces him all father it's a great moment yeah but i you know and i I know what you, you mean, but at the same time, it's not out of nowhere. That's that's the thing. It's there's so much in this story and there's so much that has been built up over, you know, the course of several years of Odin being an obstinate asshole and <laughs> being, you know, not the greatest leader and not the greatest father and all this stuff that he, you know, he, it is caught, you know, him being strung up and defeated side by side with his wife 
and watching his son do what he couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. If he didn't bow down, then like somebody needs to smack him upside his dumb head. (laughs) I I remember speaking of you're right and we've been kind of you know building towards this for a while i remember a few weeks back i read the um it's thor i think it's thor issue 10 of the jason aaron and mike del mundo run where thor and odin have their big uh kind of daddy issues fight um but the story is told through odin's perspective Mm. and odin I, i mean i was almost brought to tears by this book because odin says like Thor needs to become basically the God that I could never be. He needs to become, you know, what, you know, what my father said I couldn't be, what my father never told me, um, you know, that I could do these things, but I know my son is going to be a great God. And I know that he's going to be greater than me. And I kind of just, I, it was hard as it was, I was reading that and reviewing it with, with Joe Sabino, both and I were just like, we're just like in awe of this storytelling. And then we get to the end of war of the realms and we're like, Oh my God, it was there the whole time. Like, you know, if, if to me, it fell out of nowhere because like we've been fighting, you know, frost giants and trolls and all this kind of, and then, and then Odin just takes the knee and you're like, oh, right. Um, these two have been through a lot together yeah. and there's a lot coming, you know, after this, but uh, I love that moment at the end. I mean, literally issue six ends on that, on that image. Right, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, sorry. I was looking at the omnibus. I have the omnibus pulled up on my tablet, which freezes my iPad because it's 1500 pages long um <laughs> if anybody out there has not read this and you don't have all this and you want it in one package the digital version is like 40 bucks yeah uh, and the the print you can get it you know someplace still have it for like 90 it is so worth the price of admission to get all of it it's because it, it, it gives you a bunch of issues it has that issue you were just talking about thor number 10 is in the omnibus yeah uh, but yeah it, issue six ends of uh, war of the realms issue six ends with all hail the all, all hail all father thor and with the caption at the bottom the beginning which yeah. is such a great way to like that that's what you know a lot of our big event stories need to do they need to tell a really great captivating wild story that feels like it has stakes and danger and cool stuff and moments yeah. and, and all this stuff but you can wrap it up but then propel us forward. What what do right. we get coming out of it? How do we build on the Marvel universe and the mythos out of this? And so as you we've been talking about, there's a lot that you you mine from this. Yeah. Do you have any other? Um, I mean, it's it's a large story to to kind of bring bring to a close. But is there anything else from this story that you feel like listeners uh, just need to know or or maybe um, need to be aware of as they reread or they read it for the first time, uh, and then. Um, we're going to get to a little bit of a fun segment on this Halloween episode of Across the Bifrost. Um, I don't think there's anything necessarily that you need to know for this. I just, you know, enjoy it, reread it, like savor the, the big moments here, the wild stuff that's going on and really dig into those crossovers. Look, if you haven't, get yourself a Marvel Unlimited subscription. We have a, a full reading guide on the site with everything yeah. that is tied into this. So you can read all the various stories and see all those moments. And yeah, the, the bit we were talking about earlier with Moon Knight is like Hercules, you know, gets dropped into a situation. He fights side by side with Moon Knight. And like, I want to see that. <laughs> that. Who wouldn't want to see that? <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bunch of things going on in here with Venom. And I, you know, remember seeing and listening to Jason and Donnie talk about how they could play off of each other and how yeah. you know the jason could 
gives some stuff to Donnie out of this that sets up some things he would be doing in in his Venom book and and like yeah. those interplays and, and seeing that come to fruition like you don't have to read Venom out of this but maybe you're like wait what happens to Venom after this because he like right. slithers off and he's like our head is clear like there's a lot of really gnarly fun stuff yeah in around and and because of War of the Realms. And I, I think that's a, an appropriate enough uh, place to end the the conversation about the main issues of War of the Realms. Like I said earlier, we are going to talk about some of the tie-ins and some of the companion material. Uh, Joe Sabino was nice enough to send me a Art of War of the Realms book, nice. so we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. That's and so good. Um, we'll do it. It has been quite an enjoyable little like kind of like coffee table book to to yeah. read. Um, there's, it goes through the whole thing. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you listeners about that uh, later on down, down the road. But right now we're going to put Ryan through the thunder round many, many moons ago, Jason Aaron. Uh, I, I was going to do a lightning round of questions with Jason Aaron. He said, mm, doesn't thunder round sound better. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's why I need editing. So <laughs> because this is coming out on Halloween, we are going to do our spooky thunder round that we did with Joe and Brandon in previous weeks. So Ryan, are you ready for uh, the Across the Bifrost thunder round? I am ready. Fantastic. First question. What was the first scary movie you ever saw? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, I, 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 I'm, I vacillate on my love for scary movies. Probably the first, first scary movie. Ghostbusters scared me as a four-year-old when I saw it. I'll bet it did. <laughs> um, because there are really scary things in there, but it's not <laughs> inherently a scary movie. I it's I, I don't know that I can pinpoint the first scary movie, but uh, I remember seeing you know Nightmare uh, Nightmare on Elm Street as a as a kid. Oh wow. Uh, um three and four i watched a lot um which are less scary you know in some ways but still pretty intense um so i probably put those in there that good good options good options the second question is vampire bite or zombie bite my question back to you who chooses zombie bite give me that vampire bite baby (laughs) i want all that comes with it i want uh we were my wife and i we're every year for halloween we we pick a topic and we watch movies around it yeah um so last year we did the the entire halloween oeuvre and then this year we're doing all vampire stuff and then some days you know life gets in the way and we can't watch a movie um so we've also been watching the interview with a vampire television show which is okay way better than it has any right to be it's so good (laughs) but like watching it i'm like man there's some stuff about being a vampire that sounds really cool they get telepathy (laughs) they could just set things they've got like pyromancy they um can uh, at times just float they're super strong they've got like all these powers and in that fiction like there's you know various versions of the vampire myth where sometimes they can consume human things like they can drink and eat mostly drink um and like what they're the downsides aren't as many <laughs> I, you're yeah you're right maybe maybe the zombie bite one is for like if someone's like eh, i just kind of want to like chill i don't really want to do much but vampires yeah. like that's a pretty good option yeah um what is your favorite halloween candy hmm probably um 
Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are, those are my jam. I could eat those all year long, but like, you know, I have like three bags of candy waiting for the children because we bought a house and it's great because kids come and we have skeletons and all kinds of stuff. We do our, our house upright for the kids and yeah, I know they're going to come and I'm just like, I just want to dig into this bag and eat that damn candy. But yeah, it's probably so, the, the cups. So we're both dads of young kids. And I know on Halloween night, when we go out trick-or-treating, my son's going to be Spider-Man and my, my daughter's going to be Bluey. And I'm just going to be like, hmm, where's the good houses? Because like, there's a strategy to it. There's a strategy sure. to it. Then you got to find like, you got to find the good stuff. Um, you know, it's, uh, you, you got to teach your kids about sharing, you know, so they, yes. so they give you the good stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, question number four, what is the best Halloween costume you have ever had? All right. So um, I'm not very good at Halloween costumes in general. Okay. And as I mentioned earlier, my mom worked a lot and was, was, you know, she did all the best, but I remember one year, I must've been like nine or whatever, 10. I did this weird mashup of various things. So I had a chest plate that was like a barbarian six pack and, and, and pecs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah and a uh a jason mask on okay. one side and like uh, it was I, at this point i know that there was another mask i put facing backwards and i had a freddy krueger glove and that was my costume <laughs> and it was just like this sort of mishmash thing of oh it was a bart simpson mask that was what it was it was a bart <laughs> simpson mask on the on the other side of course. Um, and like i like had blood and made like fake blood on the chest i don't know what i was doing man i was a weirdo kid and it worked out that's my, Creative that's choice. my favorite oh man that is i i could you could have given me a hundred guesses and i wouldn't have come away with no because it uh, doesn't make any sense i i mean so quick just quick aside like you you recently went to new york comic-con and comic-cons yeah. are known for having good cosplays and co yeah. and costumes well did you have like um was there like a the best cosplay you saw at new york comic-con yeah i mean there was some incredible stuff uh we had a costume contest i helped co-host on our stage and this one the woman who won the contest had built a Khonshu costume based off of Khonshu from Marvel Studios Moon Knight. And in the in the show and in the comics, Khonshu's head floats above the body. Yeah. Um, so what she did was built the whole costume. It is a beautiful costume. And she her head is at chest level. Sorry. Her head is at chest level. And it goes above her head what? and there's a hole open about like six inches above her head. And she had these small look like tendrils, like ethereal strands, but they okay. were holding up the head, which was attached to her head. So when she moved her head, conscious oh. head moved as well. That's so and good. She built the costume, the, the chest piece to be, so seamless but she could open a door to reveal her face or actually just like see better out of it and so it's like you know like an eight and a half foot tall costume all told and she had the staff and everything she crushed it it was so good that's so cool like i don't even know Concha was on the table for cosplay oh man like, that's yeah. so good yeah. um 
last question of the thunder round um who is your favorite creepy marvel character you're like you know your your standard like halloween type characters hmm standard halloween type characters um I, I mean i like i like our dracula a lot i think he's cool he's gone through a lot of iterations um and he's he's an interesting you know version of that archetype i think he's pretty great um I really like our new werewolf by night, Jake Gomez. Jake Gomez, yeah. Yeah, I think he's 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 fun. Um, he's got some some cool aspects to his powers and his abilities, and like the idea that he he like listens to music to help focus himself and, and keep the monster at bay. And I think one of the issues that had him listening to like System of a Down or something like that. And <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's a, there's some cool stuff and I'm glad we're doing more with him. We just put out an issue on um, our Marvel's voices, infinity comic with him. That was really cool. Him fighting Wendigo, which is, oh. really, um, that, I feel like that had to have happened before, before now. That's like, that feels like an obvious one. I know, but I, I don't know that it has. I was talking to the writer of that that story just yesterday and, and Owl Going Back is his name. And um and it was pretty cool. Yeah. It's a great idea. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about War of the Realms. I know this is a story that you know means a lot to you, means a lot to us, uh, that you would stop by and chat with us. How can people keep up with you and, and do you have any like cool stuff you want to plug going forward? Yeah, no, this was my pleasure. It's look, it's easy to talk about great comics. It's it's why I do what I do. It's uh, <laughs> half of it's pleasure, half of it's the job. Um, yeah, uh, anybody can find me at Agent M on Twitter or Instagram. Um, you can see me pop up on Marvel's YouTube page or Marvel social media here and there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. And uh, yeah, of course, listen to This Week in Marvel and Marvel's Pull List, um, especially if you want a, a sense of every comic that's happening every week and yeah. conversations with uh, people behind the scenes of the comics. Marvel's Pull List is a lot of fun. And we've got some cool stuff planned for the, the next year. I think it's going to take the show into some interesting places. So looking forward to it. Fantastic. I mean, I, I listen to Marvel's Pull List every Tuesday. Uh, you and Jasmine, uh, I've I, like I said at the beginning, I've listened to you guys talk about comics more than pretty much anybody. Uh, so now um, Jasmine was on our show to talk about Death of the Mighty Thor. You've been here for War of the Realms. I feel like we've completed. Uh, we, we've we've come full circle. Yeah. Uh, so everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We're going to be doing some companion stuff. Be sure to check out our Patreon, um, join the Thor core um, and you'll get like all of our bonus episodes and early episodes and stuff like that. So um, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, I've been Ryan. He's been Ryan. And until we see you next time aboard the rainbow bridge, I encourage you each and every listener to stay worthy.